just go? Okay. Our reading today comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Thank you very much, Karen. And I was going to say good morning, everyone, but I realised I've already done that. So uh, good morning again. Uh, if you're visiting with us, great to have you today. Uh, we love having visitors. Uh, I'll cue, cue you in on uh, just where we've been over the last three weeks. We are carrying on a sermon series that we've been doing for a long time, you know, on and off over the last two years, Who is Jesus? And last week, uh, our message kind of finished with, with these verses that I'll put up. And I'll just read them again. Give me a moment, please. Let's see what's going on here. All right. Here we are. We spoke about what does God want from us? <laughs> what does God want from you? What does he want from me? This is what my father wants, Jesus says, that anyone who sees the Son and trusts who He is and what He does and then aligns with Him will enter real life, eternal life, a life that begins now, as Mike said, and a life that will live on forever, now and forever. My part, Jesus says, is to put them on their feet, alive and whole at the completion of of time. Faith. Faith in the one whom God has sent. This is what God wants from us. Today, we're going to kind of look at an extension of that. I want to talk about two things that hold us back. Two things that sort of stand between where you might be right now in your life and, and that position of saying, I'm ready to Say, yes, I believe that he was the son of God. I believe that he's the real deal. I believe that it is worth aligning my will with his and, and, and enter fully upon this life of, of, of being a Christian, if, if you will. Two things that, that kind of stand between us, that, that could hold us back from actually doing that. And then one consequence that we see in this little passage. Two obstacles, one consequence. Let's go. The first one is this. We read that 
Jesus entered into his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Isn't this Mary's son? bit hard for us to get this because we're so far removed from this culture, but in, in ancient Jewish culture, sons and children were known by the names of their fathers. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a patriarchy, if you like. You know, males, um, probably wrongly for many, many times, uh, kind of dominated the culture. So, to be identified as, as Mary's son, it's an insult. These people are essentially saying, isn't this the love child of Joseph and Mary? The accident that happened between them. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the shame, the, the, the scandal, if you will, in this pious Jewish community. Isn't, isn't this who he is? We know who he really is. He's, <laughs> he's, he's just Mary's son. He's just the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, his sisters. We, we know them. You know, who is he to teach us all these incredibly weighty, important, authoritative things that he is teaching and the works that he's doing? They had real trouble, real trouble coming to accept that Jesus is all that. And here's what their problem was. You know what their problem was? I think here, it's the first lesson for us. The obstacle of over-familiarity. It's so true, the English saying, that familiarity breeds contempt. These people were so familiar with Jesus. These are his brothers, his sisters. They grew up with him. They've seen him. They uh, have known him for 30 years by the time that he starts his ministry and, and then starts to put out this message that he is the Son of God. They, for all that time, they've known him. They've seen him as just an ordinary brother, uh, you know, some, someone who in their little small town has been a scandal, you know, over-familiar, and, and here they show that great contempt. I think there's a great lesson in this for us, church. And I want to illustrate the lesson with, yeah, with an, with an illustration. It's profound, isn't it? Illustrating a lesson with an illustration. Um, how many of you this year had the flu Flu vaccination. Anyone get the flu vaccine? Yeah, okay, great, yeah. Um, how many of us, hands up, have had any sort of vaccinations in your whole life? As a child, as children, probably all of us have had vaccinations, you know. 
And I'm not a scientist, nor am I a doctor, but I understand that vaccinations work like this. They inject you with a little bit of, let's say, a virus or something, uh, just enough to kind of get your body to uh, build up uh, an immune response, right, to this thing so that if the real deal comes, you'll be able to survive it and your body will be ready, it can reject it, uh, and you will remain healthy or at least safe from any real sort of a danger. You become inoculated against whatever that thing is that you were injected with. I think it's possible that if you have grown up in a, in a Christian environment, young people, if you, 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 I'm not talking directly to you, I'm talking to anyone though, but particularly for you, who've grown up in a, in a Christian home, a church environment, a Christian school, there's a particular risk with that environment. There is the risk that you've received perhaps just enough of what faith is and what the gospel is uh, to kind of get a grasp of what it is, but the unintended side effect is that it may have or could inoculate you against it. We become so over-familiar. Terms like gospel, Jesus, become so overused. I've done youth ministry for a long time and, and, and even in my own home now with my own children I start seeing it, you know, when we, we discuss uh, an issue and, and, or the Bible and we ask the question, so, so, you know, who can help us with this? And the answer is, Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so old hat. Um, sometimes the way we, we, might, be, we might be inclined to, to pray. So flippantly, sometimes. And I wonder if, if sometimes these things are signs. It's Jesus. <laughs> it is the, the Lord, the sovereign of, of all things who we have the privilege of entering into a relationship with through his blood shed for us on the cross to know him. To, uh, you know, is it possible that somehow in, in how we shape our culture, our church culture often that we inoculate ourselves against the very faith that we seek to inspire, that we seek to instill. <laughs> I'm not against growing up in a, in a church environment or going to a Christian school. You know what? The Bible is clear. You are blessed. You are privileged among all people if you have grown up in a Christian environment. You had a front row seat to where the gospel was held out to you. That is a blessed place to be in. <laughs> Jesus' brothers and sisters had a front row seat to, to see what God was doing in our world through his Son. But even for them, over-familiarity was a problem. And for us, Overfamiliarity can be a problem. We need to keep doing what we're doing and holding out the gospel to our children and, and, and to ourselves if we've been forever in a religious environment. But be mindful. It doesn't automatically mean that we will get to the point of faith. Truly understand who Jesus is and give our lives to him. It's an obstacle. could be an obstacle. Obstacle of overfamiliarity. The second obstacle is this one. Obstacle of wrong 
expectations. We read in that same few verses that I just had up before uh, these things, just something else I want to draw out. When Jesus rocked up to, to Nazareth, his hometown, he was accompanied by a band of disciples. Now, to us, that doesn't seem like much. We're so over-familiar with the story. Jesus had disciples. Yes, we know that. To them, though, this is, a, this is a bit of a problem, you know. You see, only highly qualified rabbis had disciples. People who were trained, people who were from the right pedigree, who went to the right places, who had the right kind of education, they were the license ticket holders to have disciples to train others. Here comes this Jesus with disciples. <laughs> and they're kind of going, where was his training? Where and when? We know him. We know what he did and didn't do. Where all of a sudden did he get the qualifications, if you like? to to be this rabbi-like figure who can come and teach and preach with such authority, uh, who can come in with a posse of disciples into our town. What they had of him and of anyone with a degree of authority to whom they would listen was a set of expectations. And unless that person, in this case Jesus, fitted that set of expectations, they won't listen. Won't take him seriously, won't consider him, won't won't have a bar of what he's trying to say to them uh, unless he ticked the boxes, their boxes, their wrong boxes. He's just the son of a carpenter. I wonder how often this is true for us in our lives as well when it comes to to God. What are some of the expectations that we place on God? Things that we feel He must do in our lives for us to take Him seriously. For us to say that, yes, He is who He said He was. You know, what, what are... What, I don't want to say the questions we, we ask because there is a place to ask questions of God. There is a place to inquire and to, and to wrestle. But there's also a place where these questions become our expectations. Unless he changes, I will not believe. Unless he becomes who I want him to be, I will not take him seriously. One writer writes this, humanity, and think if this is true of you, wants something other than what God gives. The greatest obstacle to faith is not the failure of God to act, but the unwillingness of the human heart to accept the God who condescends to us in only a carpenter, the son of Mary. (laughs) The book of Hebrews writes, the writer writes, and he starts out, he says, in these last days, he considers this present era of history the last days, he says, God has spoken to us by his own Son. (laughs) 
Formerly it was the prophets and others, but now it's his own son, Jesus, who was born in the likeness of us. And then he asked the question, he says, if we ignore such a great salvation, what hope is there for us? God has spoken to us with his son. He, he could not speak more loudly and clearly and, and, and <laughs> emphatically to us about who he is, sending his own son. Church, this should be enough for us. Every expectation we may have of God has been fulfilled or trumped or exceeded in him sending to us his own son. And what if we ignore it? What if we say, nah, uh, I'm either too over-familiar or I won't change my expectations so that they're satisfied in this Son of God? What will God do? What is God's response? Well, that's the third point. Third and last point. Leave us alone. <laughs> it's almost like there's this sad irony in this passage that we read. You kind of expect Jesus to, to want to argue, <laughs> to fight with these townspeople, with his brothers, with his sisters. Trying to debate, trying to convince them, trying to rightfully bring them to, to an insight of who he rightfully is by force. And yet God, we don't really know how God does this. There's deep mystery in how God is all sovereign and he's in control of all things. And yet we have a freedom of will to respond to him. And I'm not going to try and explain it today. I'll simply point out that Jesus seems to respect that choice. We often think that God's judgment is this Harsh and fierce hellfire and brimstone things of bad things God's going to allow to happen to us if we don't choose for him. Instead, I think it's much more subtle than that. I think it's simply that in our lives, he does what he did here. He just left. He just walked away. So let me finish on that more dark note, I suppose, <laughs> by just really driving an application home to us. You may hear all this and, and think to yourself, if I'm drop-dead honest with myself, I'm kind of like the people in either one of these categories. I'm a little bit like Jesus' family, perhaps, in Nazareth. I feel that I've been too over-familiar with the gospel in my life to, to truly have uh, grasped its, its weight and its significance. You know, sometimes I, I have I've wrestled with this. Many of you have too, perhaps. You, you hear testimonies of, of people who grew up outside of Christian environments and in whose lives God started to act powerfully, and you kind of almost envy them. You think, man, I, I, 
I almost wish something like that could have happened to me, just so I can kind of know the difference. <laughs> I've just been so, so over-familiar with, with, with the gospel and, and that all my life. I, I feel like there is something missing. Now, look, there may or may not be something missing. I'm not the one who would know. But it is the way we sometimes feel. And I believe that it's, it's, it's probable, it's yeah, quite probable that some of us here today are in that spot. We, we've, for whatever reason, struggled to grasp the full weight of the gospel. Perhaps because we've been in some ways, in our sinfulness and brokenness, inoculated against it. And then there are others here today, perhaps, who you just still have a lot of hang-ups about, about God, about the Bible, about the church. You may even be at the point where you say to yourself, you know what, I, I, I wish things were different. I wish I could change my expectations of God. I wish that the son who he sent could be enough for me. I, I want that, but I seem to struggle. I seem to not be able to let go of, of, of these, um, these misgivings that I have. Well, you know what? I, <laughs> I want to tell you that there is enormous encouragement for you if you're in either one of these two categories today. Two of Jesus' brothers who were there in Nazareth that day, who rejected him, who wanted to have nothing to do with him, two of them, we read of later in the New Testament, <laughs> go through this remarkable change. Listen to this. Of James, one of those brothers, we read this in Galatians. James, one of the blokes in Nazareth, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. This is the Apostle Paul writing. James, a pillar of faith. The same James, who in Nazareth thinks that Jesus is nuts. The same James with these hang-ups. The same James who struggles with the inoculation of over-familiarity, a pillar of faith. That same James writes later on a letter to convince a lot of other people that they should put their faith in who Jesus is. Starts that letter, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas, not the Judas who betrayed Jesus, uh, same story. He writes a letter called Jude, and he starts that letter, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. However far you may be from faith in Jesus today, and for whatever reason, here's what I do know. <laughs> God can move you. You can move. You can move from whatever unhealthy expectations you have. You can move from whatever over-familiarity you have. And parents, we have this remarkable assurance that Christ himself, through the power of his Spirit, is the one who saves our children, not us. We see it in James. We see it in Jude. We've seen it all throughout history. And so what I want to do, I just want to conclude by praying a prayer. And I'm speaking particularly to, to you if, you if you feel convicted, perhaps, that 
Today is the day where you want to step into this place of faith. Please just, in your own heart, echo the words that I'm going to pray. They'll be heard, (laughs) I trust, by the Holy Spirit. And you will find yourself in a place where you could perhaps say, my over-familiarity with the gospel was overcome. (laughs) Not by me, or by my church, but by God. My unhealthy expectations that I never could seem to let down were changed. Not by me, but by him. Please pray this prayer with me now. Dear God, I find it hard to grasp the true value of Jesus for my life. I'm over-familiar with it. And, or, there are so many things I find too hard to look beyond. Yet I can't deny in me an interest or even a strange pull and a desire to fully grasp and believe the truth that I hear about you. I do not want to ignore such a great salvation as you have sent in your own Son, Jesus. From this day on, help me please to overcome my unbelief. I want to overcome the obstacles. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.